Bless his name for he is wonderful and gracious to us all. He is a God that reminds us each and every day that liberty comes only through him and that uh, the way that he loved us was to give his life. And so we don't come into this place lightly. I can't come into this place without giving God praise. Amen, somebody. Will you put your hands together? You give a shout of praise to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one that took you from the muck and the mire and put your feet on solid ground. That is the God that we serve. Amen, somebody. I want to give uh, thanks to you as the community of believers for uh, having and hosting me uh, to open up God's word. I do not take that lightly. It is a privilege and an honor to uh, break the bread of life with the body of Christ. And also thank you to your leadership, uh, to your pastor and to the elders of the church for uh, having and hosting me. All of you have been so kind um, and I am deeply thankful for uh, a community from afar. Uh, Again, my name is Michael Davis, and uh, someone said, I don't hear a southern accent from you. That is because I am not from the south. Uh, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, uh, and my wife is from Kansas City, Missouri. So uh, we live in the south uh, as of 2013, and we've grown our family there as well. And so thank you again for having me. You heard the Old Testament reading. Let me read in your hearing uh, our sermon text and how We will see those things come together uh, this morning. John 17, uh, verse 20. John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who who will believe in me through their word, that that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become Perfectly. Everybody say it together. One. Everybody say one. one. Just making sure y'all awake. So that we, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as even you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom uh, you have given me may be with me and where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. 25 says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you sent me. And 26 says, I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the very word of the Lord. Father, we are grateful for your word and we thank you, Jesus. Even now, even now, Lord Jesus, that you may hear us as we need to hear you. We ask to hear from you. 
We've been asking it all morning through our singing, through our praying, and through our praise. And so, God, I pray that you soften our ears so that we may hear your word. And, God, I pray that you move in our hearts so that we may be attentive to how you're responding and how we are to respond to you. Uh, We love you because you first loved us. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. All God's people say together. Amen. Amen. It it only makes sense. Uh, I I told a couple people a joke. There are a couple pastors that are from this area who've harassed me um, over the last several months. Philadelphia has had a sports run. and, And I was just trying to understand, does everybody rally around the, uh, the, the Phillies, does everybody rally around the Eagles, the, you know, and that, that's what I understand. Everybody really rallies around the Eagles. And so, you know, Philadelphia beat the Cardinals in baseball, right? And so there was a couple pastors that are from this area that were texting me and reminding me of that. Um, and then they were harassing me because uh, the Kansas City Chiefs we're going to the Super Bowl and meet them, and they just knew that they were going to beat us. Um, and so they had been harassing me because of that. But I come in love. <laughs> I come in love, even, you know. Um, but in all seriousness, our text leads us into a place this morning that reminds us that uh, there's a deep love and affection that God has for us. Uh, we're in the city of brother, brotherly love. In the city where liberty was proclaimed. And so there is a way in which we see where Jesus is perfectly praying for the people of God in order to show us that powerful prayers actually do things. You are here because of the prayer we just read. You're here because God loved you. And you understand that God was praying particularly for the people of God in Manoah. Just as much as he was praying, particularly for every other people of God across the world. The global identity we have doesn't separate us from good American Christians, from other Christians in the southern hemisphere or other areas of the world. We are all the body of Christ and God has called us by one word and one word alone. And understanding that we, though, oftentimes are governed by the things in which we love. Sometimes we like to think of ourselves as mere thinking things or mere things in which we are affectionate to what we know. But we're not people who just know things or believe things, but we are people that are called to what we love. Uh, We know this because God, Jesus here, is actually emphasizing this idea in which we love. And so when we come to our text this morning, it's just to understand that the prayer is not a prayer that doesn't do any transformative work in our hearts and in our minds. But yet it is a prayer that causes us to be deeply transformed, not just because of what we've read, but because of who we know and how much he loves us. Not just because we hold on to doctrinal tenets of the faith, but yet because of how it's deeply transformed us. Beloved, I always like to say to the congregation I will preach in Memphis, it is, I didn't get up here in order to give you a lecture. God has been proclaiming his love and his good news throughout this entire service. 
This is a response. This is, which, which, this is a way in which we are still being transformed through singing, through prayer, through worship, and through his word. So, beloved, when we look at our text this morning, I want us to understand that if you were to hold on to anything, that God, God, he came. He sent his only son for us to abide in him alone. If you were to hold on to that, I want you to understand that abiding in three ways through truth, love, and community. Truth, love, and community. First of all, we have to acknowledge that we ought to abide in this love, in this truth, and in this community by understanding who is the one that forms and shapes us. Our natural proclivities as, a human, as human beings are to be rightly divided. Divided according to our own ways, divided according to our, our own principles, divided according to our own affections, divided according to everything that we love and we desire, divided upon which we care for, who we care for, and who we do not want to care for. We naturally exclude, we naturally look down upon. There is an inferior and superior way in which we live life a lot of times, and we have to attribute that brokenness. To the, tr- to the unity in which God desired for us from the beginning. The Bible tells a full story from beginning to end. And God desired harmony and peace and love with his people, but yet we rightly divided ourselves according to what we rightly think. Our, par- our, f- our parents resisted God. And we too do resist everything that comes to us that is holy, that is true, and that is from God. We have to admit that. But when we abide in truth and love and godly community, what happens is we become transformed by his word by being loved, and by the people that you see around you. So when we get to verse 20 here, we have to acknowledge something. That this message of truth has been sustained for a long time. And the purpose in which it's been sustained in order for us to have a level of oneness, maintaining unity. Not homogeny, Meaning that we all have to think the same way. We all have to look the same. We all have to do things the same. We all have to have the same money. We all have to have the same credibility. credibility. No, that's not what it is. It's an expression which God helps us to see that maintaining oneness gives us the idea in which we come to this word, his word, and this message which has been preached that doesn't change. It hasn't changed at all. How do we know this? We'll look at verse 20 where he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe. Believe in what? In me through their word. Okay, whose word? The apostolic band, the apostles in which they would be preaching. He's talking about the disciples preaching to those in which we are actually benefactors from the word of God going out to many nations and people. 
But then listen to what else he says. They, that they may be, they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Let me, let me work, listen to me just for one minute because I know you don't believe me. Okay? I already understand. You don't believe anything I just said. I, and I believe that. I, that's okay. So let me convince you by God's word. When the, book of, when the book of John is written, it's written with the purpose that we may believe. Beloved, I believe that it's, it's difficult in a season which so many people are deconstructing their faith and thinking about other things and walking away from the community of believers and causing themselves to actually wrestle with so many issues. Because, yes, sometimes we have not done a great job as a church historically communicating all of the intricate details of God's word. We're flawed human beings. Ah, but... It doesn't mean that we leave those that are pushed aside. And it doesn't mean that we don't wrestle with our own struggles with doubt. And so we are to empathize. So, beloved, I want you to think about what Jesus is praying here. He's praying the idea in which we believe in him. I tell people a lot of times, I don't want you to believe in the church. Because it's a bunch of jacked up people. I want you to believe in the one that makes us perfect. I want you to believe in the one that actually is the perfecter of drawing us together and sustaining us and keeping us in our right minds. That's the God that we ought to believe in. And that is the word that we ought to believe in. Therefore, why do we and why and how do we abide in truth? We do it because Jesus makes it plain that this notion in which he prays that we would believe in him, it is through his word. It is also through signs. When you go back through the book of John, you see the first 12 chapters are signs and wonders in which Jesus is lining up so the people may believe. Remember when he raised Lazarus from the dead, what did he say in his prayer? Jesus says, I pray, Father, not that I may believe, but that everybody around me standing right here, that they will believe that you are doing the very work and the very sign amongst the people. They didn't believe that he can raise Lazarus from the dead. But when he cried out, Lazarus, come out with a loud voice. I want you to understand that everybody around him was wondering if the very one who had come would actually raise him from the dead. And he shocked and awed them so much so that they went back to Caiaphas and the other chief priests and they said that do y'all understand what this man Jesus the Messiah is doing he's actually raised someone from the dead y'all don't believe me but I'm telling you that that is actually what happened and what Jesus is saying and book of John is saying throughout this time the purpose I'm writing for is that when you look at what Jesus has done it is to bring glory to his name by the preaching and the proclamation of his word that changes the people who are poor in spirit who are in deep need of the great physician Jesus had already said in the book of Matthew and in, in, in the other three gospels synoptic gospels that I didn't come what? To save those who had it all together, but those that were sick. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And his word reminds us that his that this happens. But yet, beloved, when I say abide, you got to remember sometimes when you're dealing with doubts and struggles, when you're struggling with your belief and you can't hold on, there's some ways in which you got to abide. 
in his word. And he says it right here in John 17 in a couple other verses. He said in John 17, verse 6, and they kept your word. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the disciples, that they kept his word. Do you understand how to keep somebody's word? I know some of y'all understand how to keep words because you remember when your parents would discipline you. You remember when you, you when your parents had the sayings like my people had the sayings, you don't believe fat meets greasy. I still don't understand it, but I say it to my kids to this day. I kept that word. John 17, 14 says, I have given them your word. There are so many different things that we do as mentors, as disciples and parents and leaders and elders where we give counsel, we give words, we try to encourage. And what, we, what Jesus is saying in verse 17, I've given, given them the very word that you've called me, not just to proclaim, but get this, to fulfill. Every other rabbi thought that they had the the greatest teaching, but what, when you're living in Judaism and rhetorical speech and, and, and championing literature was so dominant, he was the one who was actually fulfilling all kinds of teaching when he would walk into the synagogue and actually proclaim that Isaiah 61 passage. I've given them your word. John 17, 17 says, he sanctified them in truth. Your word is truth. When you go to Ephesians chapter 5, when you see that a lot of people who use in their premarital counseling, when Jesus, when Paul talks to the bride and the groom, what does he say? That you may be washed in the word of truth, sanctified by it, that it nourishes and cherishes, that you may be nourished by it and cherish it. How many times do you hide the, God, the word of God in your hearts so that you may not sin against him, that you may not doubt him, that you may not doubt the people around you, that you may not doubt what he's doing in your life? How many times does that happen? I understand the struggles with that, beloved. But when we abide in truth, we become a community of witnesses of the very word that's transformed us. Even though we hold to this divine objective truth, it still requires us, though, to walk by faith. It's easy to walk by sight. But all of us understand when we wake up, when we wake up in the middle of the dark night, if you don't keep your TV on while you're sleeping, I don't like to have any lights on when I'm sleeping, but you ever stub your toe in the dark when you're trying to find a light switch? When you're, when you're feeling around and trying to touch some things, it's hard to walk in darkness. And beloved, we have to understand that we, this is a very dark age. Evil is persisting to become even more evil. Therefore, walking by faith, 2 Corinthians 5 and 2 is, for we walk by faith, not by sight. God's word is the lamp unto our feet, to light unto our path. It's the very thing that gives us guidance and instruction. It's the very thing that forms and shapes all of who we are. It's Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, 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 the conviction of things not seen, that are unseen. Can we abide in that word? Can we abide in that truth? 
Can we hold on to it like it's never changed? And then we abide in the love. I, I, look at what Jesus says. He says it right here in verse 22. It says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be, they be one, even as we are one in them, in, in I and them and you and me. That they may become perfectly one. So that, so that, so that the world may know that you sent me. Our oneness is a picture of God sending his son and love them even as you love me. Do do you believe that? Because when you abide in this love, it's... It's the great commission that causes us to understand that God sent us. That is, God is sending his people. There's a way in which we look at that from a missional perspective, and there's a way in which we have a global identity around that. But there's a great commandment that that great church father, St. Augustine, says that it is hard to interpret the Bible without understanding these holy scriptures apart from that twofold notion of love God and love neighbor. It builds us up as a church, and it's hard to have a lens of understanding the entire Bible without understanding love for God and love for neighbor. That is very strong. We see it in the Old Testament and we see it throughout the New Testament. Why is this love so important? Why must we abide in it? It is because, beloved, we can make this argument that is a direct connection that our love for one another is actually a knowing of God. And then it is actually a portrayal in which we actually have known God because he first knows knows us. What does the song said? How deep the father's love for us. How deep. Deep is it? He's using the Ephesians passage. How vast beyond all measures that he shall give his only son to make, I want you to point to yourself, a wretch his treasure. How how great the pain of searing loss The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one brings many sons to glory. That's how deep the father's love is for the people of God, is for you, is for his community. It reminds me, beloved, when I think about this idea of abiding, when I, my son and I, we were in the water, we were in the pool together. I'm going to tell this idea, which when he first was in the pool, he, he didn't trust, right, what was around him. We had the safety device. He had the life jacket on him first because we didn't recognize that they had the cute kitty things that you put on your arms and they can float. We had a life jacket on them. We were brand new to the thing. But as I was trying to have my two-year-old son jump into the water at, at this moment, what I had to remind him of is there is a device around you, son. That to this, to you, this pool looks enormous. In fact, it looks like the ocean. But I'm your father and I'm telling you, there's a device around you that if you just step out into the water, you'll begin to float. 
And when you feel insecure, the device around you will uphold you. And I will be right alongside of you, speaking to you, encouraging you, reassuring you, building you up to let you know that you won't drown in what you are fearful of. Beloved, that device around us is called the Holy Spirit. It is the word of God that lives in us. And when you understand that, yes, you live in this present age, I had to be reminded myself, too, because one time we fell off some jet skis and I was holding my son up and my wife, my wife said, baby, let him go. And I said, why I got to let him go as I'm falling underwater more? She said, because you got to trust what's around him. And what I'm telling you, beloved, this morning and for the rest of your lives, if you would just trust that this word is not just a word that's outside, but it's wrapped around you, it's above you it's on the side of you it's actually what you stand on I like the way the Old Testament says it it's your front guard your rear guard your upper and lower guard it's the very thing that when you don't feel safe sometimes you just allow it to be your comfort at times when you're unsure when you've lost a loved one when you feel the pain when you are feeling the doubt just wrap yourself in his word wrap yourself in his love and well I I can promise you, I can't guarantee a lot of things, but what I can tell you this morning is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will always, always be with you. And that is the God that causes us not to feel intimidated, not to feel insecure, but to feel sure and certain. And beloved, that not only do we abide in truth and abide in love, but we abide with one another. It's God's community. And the picture of that is that we ought to be a visible proclamation of God's glory. Think about what he says. The Father, 24, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Now, when you think about this, Jesus is praying that they actually feel what he, we, not, he's praying that we feel what he feels in the Trinity. The love, the unity, the diversity, the power, all wrapped in this idea in which you are together for the glory of God. We ought to be encouraged by that. Deeply encouraged because it is this notion when I am doing premarital counseling that I tell a couple, if you have a triangle, you're at the bottom at the triangle. God is at the summit of the triangle. If we move towards one another as a community or in a relationship, we begin to rely on each other for our sufficiency. But I'm not strong enough to uphold my wife. I'm not smart enough. Neither of us are when it comes to community. We can't really be honest with how we feel about one another. Our frustrations and vulnerabilities don't come out like we want them to because we want to uphold an image. But God says, if you move towards me, what happens is the image that you begin to hold on to, you let it go. And the image, as Paul says, that he's trying to restore, 
in you, you actually become more like him towards not just one another, but towards the entire world. So this is what Jesus says. He says, I know you. He He says, Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And then he doesn't, say that, he doesn't say that the disciples know him. He doesn't say that, 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 that we will necessarily know him like, the, like he knows the Father. But he says, these know that you have sent me, and I made known to them your name. I want you to pause and think about that for a moment. This idea of knowing God, knowing self, Knowing neighbor actually helps us understand what it means to live in a community that lowliness, humility, and meekness are glorification factors in which we give credence to God. It ain't beautiful, right? It's not holding the trophy necessarily, but that's the picture of success that we all like to have. But the trophy is pain. You don't believe me. Philippians 2, 8. It says it right here. It's connected to his humiliation. And Paul says, and being found in human form. That's what Jesus came to do. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. The glorification then is in the death, the pain, in burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is where we find our sign as a body of believers, beloved. It is the table of fellowship that reminds of that. That's why the Lord's Supper is so important when we come together. Because it's a reminder of what Jesus did to give his life. And I want to I tell you something. When we think about persecution. A lot of times we only as Americans think about we haven't, per- we haven't felt persecution like other nations or countries. And, I, and there are some ways in which that is true. But I remember Karen Ellis who was talking to uh, a Middle Eastern Christian and they said, you know, American Christianity, uh, a lot of oh, persecution, it's, although it, it may not be martyrdom or suffering in some regards that we may feel. But it's easy to have physical suffering and persecution. Americans' persecution is like cancer. You don't know what stage you're in. And you become delusional. And beloved, what I'm telling you is a lot of times when, when you're abiding in community, Christ loving community, and you're abiding in love, when you're abiding in truth, it does not feel as if it's the best place on earth because it's doing the transformative work that's forming and shaping you. I know y'all didn't come here for this this morning, but what I'm trying to tell you is, and this is what God is, I can't tell y'all nothing that God ain't been doing in my heart and in my life. When I am in communities that are cross-ethnic, cross-generational, cross, uh, across the age factor, across uh, economic factors, uh, cultural factors, when I'm in that community, I never feel restful as a tension 
and attention actually forms and shapes me. It's Gregory Porter, who I, me and my wife, we love. He's a jazz vocalist, and he sings all over the place. And what he told a story one time, and the story was about how his mother made the Thanksgiving meal. She, in Bakersville, California, was a Methodist preacher, and she would round all eight of his brothers and sisters together. Now, if you don't know Gregory Porter, I would suggest that you listen to him. He's, he's a fantastic um, jazz vocalist, and he had a song called Take Me to the Alley. And in this song called Take Me to the Alley, which he got it from, it, what he said was he actually was praying around the table as the food was prepared. Now, I don't know how y'all Thanksgivings are, but I'm going to tell you how my Thanksgivings typically are and, and, and where I come from, okay? We, we, when we got Thanksgiving, it's baked macaroni and cheese, okay? It, 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 we, we talking turkey dressing, okay, with the gravy on the side, cranberry sauce. We got, the, we got the, the ham and the turkey. We got the sweet potato pie, the German chocolate cake. We got the dressing. We, 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 the greens that, that been, that's been taken along. We got it all. And he said, he said his mama made the meal. He sat around and said a long prayer. And he began to salivate as he was waiting on the food. And he was hitting his nose. And it gave me a great picture when, Jesus, when God says that there's a sweet aroma coming from the burnt offerings from the people of God. That, that's what it seemed like for, for Thanksgiving all the time. And what he said was, after the prayer was done, amen. She said, baby, wrap the food up. He said, wait a minute, we eat here. She says, no, we're taking it to the alley. We're taking it to those that are sick and afflicted, the forgotten ones. The picture of proclaiming liberty is not to give your seconds or your leftovers, but it's to give your first fruits. And when you give anything to your community, when you give anything to the people around you, can I tell you, give them what the best thing that they can ever have, and that's Jesus Christ and him alone. Father, we thank you so much for your glory and for how good you have been to us. And I pray, God, that your people hear you. They hear your word. And they love you deeply. And they understand, Lord, that the love that you have loved them with is what they ought to love one another with. And the word that you ask them to hold on to is the very word they ought to proclaim. And Lord, the community and the unity that they have to hold that, they, that you have shown them through the Trinity that they need to hold together. For it is in Jesus' mighty name we pray. All God's people say together. Amen, Amen beloved.